0: blog talk radio
1: hello and welcome and this is Cindy Meyer and this is the spirit seeker weekly radio show hour and we um, invite amazing people who are visionaries and are wanting to make the world a better place so each week we have um, authors we have people who are doing different forms of alternative healing. We have musicians, we have conferences and and just people who really are on the front lines of what is um, happening, shall we say, that is enhancing the mind, body and spirit. Now the show is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine, which has been published for 18 years. We've been online for 16 of those 18 years and you can read us at www.spiritseeker.com. Each month, we also, um, you know, distribute in as a print magazine in the Midwest. We are in Chicago, Kansas City, and St. Louis. You can find us always at Whole Foods, and we're over in over two hundred and fifty locations in St. Louis, two hundred and fifty locations in Chicago, and probably about one hundred and twenty-five in Kansas City. We also ship throughout all over the Midwest to conferences throughout the USA. So look for us, and the best way to find us is to send us an email asking to be added to our email list because we also have a weekly email newsletter and we let you know about the guests on the radio show and when the magazine is online um, and all kinds of other just interesting things that are happening. So if you send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at spiritseeker.com asking to be added to our email list, we will definitely do that. We don't sell your name. You're it's sacrosanct. So there you go, and we hope you'll do that. Okay, the other thing I want to mention is when this show is um completed tonight, it immediately becomes a podcast and you are able to send that link um to your friends and family anywhere in the world and they too can uh enjoy the wonderful information that was shared in this um in the interviews. Okay. That's all for announcements. We are finished. We are now going into our show, and um, this is a two-part show. The first half will be uh, with Wanda Pratnika and her husband, Mike, who will be translating. He'll actually be talking on her behalf, and then at points, she'll be talking. And then the second half, um, from 8 to 9, we have Glenn Perry, who is an author and visionary. So Wanda Prtnica is a psychologist with a, um, an, an M.A. degree. She's a para, <clears throat> excuse me, parapsychologist, a psychic, a spiritual teacher, and works as an exorcist. She is the author of the book Possessed by Ghosts, Exorcisms. The presence of ghosts within a person, she feels, causes powerful mood swings from strong negative emotional outbursts to profound depression. Um, these These things that are happening inside of people can evoke powerful anxiety attacks, persuade those who are possessed to um, have death urges and not want to be here. Uh, They have strong influences on the psyche and are um, the cause of mental illnesses uh, at this time. And as we all know, mental illness is on a rise and... Um, there are so many so many different uh, takes on it, so this is a whole new take tonight, and I'm so uh, delighted that Wanda has taken time to be a guest. So, um, um, Mike, okay, I'm going to bring you onto the air now. Hello, Mike and Wanda.
2: Hello. Hello, Cindy.
1: Hello, Cindy.
0: Okay. Welcome,
2: everyone.
1: Okay, thank you so much for um, taking the time to be on the show. And uh, welcome to the U.S. I know you've been here for a little bit, so um, welcome. So, um, so, Mike, you know, please just tell us in your words, I mean, I know I just gave a brief description of who um, your lovely wife Wanda is, but if you would just tell the listeners just a little bit more about exactly who Wanda is and how this all began with her work.
2: Um, Well, Wanda was born three years after the World War Two, And um, she was born with a very special gift, although she at that time thought that this is just normal, that everyone has this. She was able to not only see the physical reality, but she also was able to see um, that what we used to call um non-physical realities and that would be the astral world which is the emotional world with its beings but she was also able to see into the mental world which we call the world of the thought and also she always was grounded and she always was operating for an, from an either, even higher world which we call causal um where you can find any answer to any question and um, uh, with this reality wanda was able to perceive many layers of existence and um, she as i said was pretty much sure that everybody has the same thing but then when she was Growing bigger and bigger, then she perceived that this is not the case, and then she that there was a moment when she has to say stop. I cannot tell about this anymore because people are just be becoming confused, and they are treating me strangely. So she stopped to talk about this. That was the beginning. <laughs>
1: And so all of this education, did, did you know? You know, with a master's in arts in psychology, um, when she first started, I mean, she just kept things just kept showing up for her. You know, as a psychologist, she just kept seeing things like this that were out, uh, very unusual. I mean, not not every psychologist obviously mm-hmm. can read auras and see entities yes. attached to people.
2: Yes, yes. Well, the situation was this: it was. Mm, the interest in the psyche itself and uh, that concerns not only the psyche of human beings like incarnated people but that includes also the psyche of people who did already lose the physical body, who are as souls out of their physical body and where they are confronted with the big decision whether to go into the light or to stay among the living within the reality they know they are operating actually pretty much the same as human incarnated people so their psyche is more or less the same so Wanda was not only interested in the in the psyche of the human incarnated person, but also of the ghost, what we call i mean a person who did not decide to go into the light and who decided to stay among the living, which of course is a poor choice, which I will explain later why that is so um that psyche is pretty much the same,
1: so that's a good lead in question. To you know some people believe in ghosts, some people do not, and um what yes. is your un, what is Wanda's understanding um of how ghosts come to be, and um if they're friendly, if they're you know et cetera there's many takes on this,
2: yes, well, you know when it comes to ghosts. Uh, We are in a quite difficult situation today, since we have had historical things going on in Europe, especially in the Catholic Church, where there was a lot of um, problems coming from the Catholic Church concerning the afterlife, concerning being psychic, Concerning higher vibrational fields than the physical field, you know, the Catholic Church made the life of people who perceived higher frequency fields pretty difficult. And um,
1: why do you think that? Why do you think that is? Just so, so that listeners can understand um, how how it is that organized religion can have that much power, shall we say, or fear?
2: Um, Well, if you perceive very clearly higher vibrational fields, and if you perceive yourself as not only the physical body, but also um, perceive that you also have something we call the emotional body, which makes your emotional field, your emotions, so to speak, when you perceive very clearly The beings that are present in the uh, astral body in the emotional world uh, people souls of people who did not pass into the light but stayed among the living if you perceive very clearly the mental world then you are much more free in your choices then you are much more wiser and that is the moment where you do not need anyone to be as a connecting link to something we call higher intelligence, or let's call it go- God. Okay? Mm-hmm. So um, that is, of course, contraproductory uh, when it comes to religions, because religions, of course, they want to have followers, they want to have people who believe in what they say. Mm-hmm. And so if you can be connected with God directly, then you actually don't need any religion. And that was, of course, a p- problem in Europe during the Inquisition time.
0: You
1: know, I have been told, and I and this is off track a little bit, but, um, but it goes along with this, that there were books in the Bible about reincarnation, and they were removed because it gave people too much power to mm-hmm. think that, that there was, yes. you know, life after life, you know, in a different way. Yes. like, um, Yes. So this is similar to that.
2: Yes. You know, if you are completely sure of the fact that you are reincarnating, that this is not the only life you have, well, then you perceive reality completely different. Then you are not that much easy manipulated by people who want to... Have you as a follower? Let's say we have a political movement. We have so many political movements in the world. Let's pretend for a moment that the consciousness of the people is as high as they can clearly perceive that they don't need politicians at all because they have something inside their heart that is saying them them what is wrong and what is right. So they actually don't need any guidance from the political movement. Let's pretend for a second that this is true. You know that everybody has that high consciousness. Well, Mm -hmm. if that is so, then you don't need politicians. And if you can be directly connected to God, then you don't need the church. Then you don't need any religion at all.
1: It goes on and on, doesn't it, with the control dramas? Yes. So with ghosts, getting back to that and um, talking about the soul level, you know, let's talk about what happens to a soul after the physical body is no longer alive, which is kind of what we've been talking about on the outskirts, but let's now go directly into that subject.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, not much is changing for that soul because the f- what makes The human soul, um, you know, the physical body is only a small part of that. So if your uh, subtle bodies, let's call your soul your subtle bodies, if they are out of your physical body, then your reality is actually not changing or is changing almost nothing. So you find yourself, your physical body is dead, but you... As a person are outside of your physical body and you can still perceive your near ones, you can still perceive the physical world because you are then in your astral body, in your emotional body, that is then your outside vehicle, so to speak. And that is why many, many souls just don't really recognize that their physical body already died. The other very important aspect is that you are getting a different consciousness when you are out of your physical body, when your physical mind is no longer operating. It is very similar to your dream. When you remember your dreams, and many people these days are remembering their dreams really well. So if you are remembering your dream, then you will say that this is like a very emotional world, a very like a roller coaster when you're going from one experience to the other experience to the next experience, and so on and so on. So there is not the situation that you can sit down and think for a moment like uh, meditating about the fact what has just happened. Um, so it is really difficult for many many souls to see that their physical body is dead already that this is no that they are no longer operating in the physical body that they are operating in the astral body in the emotional body and uh that is why many people are just very confused very much many many souls are very much confused about the fact am i still physically alive or no longer
1: mm-hmm. so there's total confusion
2: yes there is pretty much a lot of confusion which is originating from the fact that we know about what is going to happen after our physical body is dead so little you know there's so little information there is so little information about it people just don't know what's going to happen and if they don't know, they just don't know how to behave. Many people think that death of the physical body is the end of everything, which of course is not true and they're not de- dead, but sometimes they are just staying on, at the cemetery and they are waiting for the last judgment or they are just wandering around, you know, just out of the lack of information of what is going to happen after my physical body is going to be gone?
1: Well, and you know, now more than ever, we have a fascination with this. I mean, everywhere you turn on TV, um, you know, Europe is older, obviously, but in the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, we have the the Long Island Medium, we have the Ghost Whisperer, we have, mm-hmm. you know, different shows where... Um, you know there was a time when people didn't talk about mediums or or you know they they didn't talk about going to someone to help them make contact, so there's more of an awareness I think than ever before,
2: yeah yeah that
1: there's there's something happening with our soul it doesn't just you know just die and then and then you know you look at so many different religions, you know uh the Jewish people put their the, the they bury the body within twenty four hours in a pine box. And you know, and so that every and they never leave the body alone once the person has died. There's someone who sits with that body until mm-hmm. the the body is in the ground and buried because they know the soul soul sometimes hovers. So let's yeah. let's you know. So let's talk about the soul hovering because you were saying that when the soul is confused and chooses to stay rather than go is not a good thing. Well, everything... I don't know if that's the right way to put
2: that. Yes, exactly. Well, everything in the universe is offering you every second a decision. You know, you can make so many different decisions, and some decisions are going to lead you into a very easy reality, into a very um, light-filled reality, and some choices will make your life harder or even very hard still from the standpoint of the universe, the universe is always going to tell you every choice is good. Because if you are deciding unwise and you are going to stay among the living, then there will be suffering coming towards you. And that suffering is going to show you uh, uh, that you went the wrong path and will give you a lot of motivation to just return from that path. So, um, the thing is that we can choose wisely, and we should, but from the standpoint of the universe, everything is good. So, if you, of course, are deciding to stay among the living, um, then there will be two main um, aspects that that you will, as a soul, have to live with with. And the first consequence of that choice will be that you are not going to get any energy from any source So meaning that you are going to become weaker and weaker That's the main consequence And the other consequence is that you are going to become um, a negative, an outpouring of a negative emotion Um when you are having the desire to stay among the living then you have frequency wise stay in the lowest vibrational fields of the astral body which of course are negative, which of course is negativity this is rage, hate, um, jealousy, envy, um, anger And, of course, the base of all negativity, which is fear. So these are the first lowest vibrational fields of the astral body, of the astral world. So if you are willing to stay among the living, then you will have to be on the lowest level of the astral world, which is either rage or anger or fear itself. It will be... An outpouring of negativity. It does not say anything about how you are. If you are a good person, you are doing this. And if you are a very evil person, you are doing this too. So this is not about becoming a monster. It is about becoming uh, the consequence of my own choice. Mm -hmm. And if that happens, then it can, of course, be transferred over to people when to living incarnated people if you are communicating with these people this way or the other. And that is why it is then interesting for us incarnated people to understand these things so that ghosts can no longer influence our lives, that they can no longer influence our emotional Structure, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Because if we do, then we are going to start to radiate very intense negativity, very intense rage, very intense fear.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Mike, what what happens when a person on this side has lost a loved one and just refuses to let them go? And I know you know what I'm talking about, where... Yeah. Every moment is, is just consumed with grief or loss or
0: yeah.
1: um denial. You know, I, I don't yeah. even know what word to use. But what happens yeah, and, when a – s w l let's because if a soul has already let's say they went to the light and they they they've they've done their soul journey. They've dropped the physical body and their soul, they, they said yes, but the person back here just won't let go.
2: Well, the ghost can take a poor decision by saying, okay, I am going to stay among the living, but we as human incarnated people who are remaining here on earth, we can take poor choices too. And that is one of a very poor choice. And I did that um, in my own life. So this is my own story I am telling you now. Uh, When I was six, I lost my father. He crashed his plane, And uh, I was six, and um, I said immediately, subconsciously, to my father, to the soul of my father, I did not even consciously know that I did this. But then later on, I discovered that I did. I immediately said to him, look, you are my father. I'm six years old. I need a father. You have to stay with me. And uh, out of a feeling of responsibility for myself, he said, yes, I'm going to stay, which is a very poor poor choice. I'm still of the opinion that this was a very poor choice on his side and that was a very poor choice on my side. So when that happened, uh, we, of course, in that situation are so intensely uh, mourning that we are, uh, well, our thinking is switched off, so to speak. But we should always know that the grief that we are going through is a very needed one. I mean, we need to go through the mourning. We need to let go of the of the sadness that is inside of us. This is a great thing to do. But the wisdom in that situation must lie in the decision to say, okay, I was mourning now enough, I was sad enough, and now I have to stop with this because I know that this can become a chain concerning the soul that is in the progress to the light. Because if I mourn too much, if I mourn all the time, if that never stops, and uh, we have very often that scenario, then this makes the ghost very difficult to go away from the world of the human. And then that ghost will have to stay among us and uh, then this ghost, when he decides to stay among the living, then he's not going to get any energy from any source and then he is going to have to get our energy and at the same time he is going to radiate on, into our energy system, into our emotional system a lung of negativity originating from the fact that his place now is the negativity itself So this is a very poor choice for the ghost, this is a very poor choice for the remaining ones, and that is why Wanda has decided to write so many books about this and this is now in total five books where she is explaining this in detail where she is saying look we need to be educated about how we need to behave after someone is there we need to know that there are goals, that they can influence us, that they can make our world, our our reality, a very poor one because of the fact I already mentioned, mentioned, and that we need to know how to relate to the world of gods because this is a very important thing, and we can live much, much better without the goals.
1: So, you know, Mike, how, um, when people afflicted with illnesses, you know how does this play into that um with the mental illnesses that we're experiencing and the depression that is at an unprecedented level um in our society and suicidal you know suicide among teenagers is on the rise all over the world mm-hmm. and um yeah. what what how can we understand um better how to how to work with this and change this and I know this is Wanda's work. This is um yeah. this is what she has done. And you know and it's funny, going back to the exorcism part, you know, the church used to do exorcisms, the priests. And yeah. they still do in some cases, but they just won't talk about it. So let's let's talk about, you know, some of the some of the entities that attach and some of the illnesses that are happening right now and I know I'm going in so many directions. We also,
0: you yeah. so wherever
1: you want to answer, we also have such an increase in autism and Asperger's mm-hmm. and, and, you yeah. know, these. these. Okay, so we, wherever you want to go, we have lots of room. And, and how Wanda helps <laughs> with the, these conditions.
2: <laughs> well, first of all, you need to understand that many of the diseases you just mentioned are in direct line originating from the ghosts. So, um, I'm not telling by that that every disease you will find is um, that it's caused lie lie in the ghosts. But I am saying that there is a lot of mental disturbances that we are experiencing, as you were saying, all over. It's not only. In Europe, it's not only in, U- in the US, it's not only in Tibet, it's everywhere. And the fact that it's responsible for this is that our consciousness is raising all the time. We're getting a lot of energy from the cosmos, you can say from the universe. There is a lot of energy going towards Earth, which is making our consciousness to rise. And this rise of consciousness has a great... Um, advantages and great disadvantages because if you are going up with your consciousness then you are starting to make more and more encounters with the next higher reality which is the astral world, which is the world of the ghost and if that happens then you are very likely to get in touch with the ghost and if that happens negativity is on the rise in your life and Low energy, like energy in your mind, like energy in your physical body, like energy in your intellect, that is going to go away from you because you will have to share your own life force with the God. So that mentioned, we need to understand that there are many Disturbances, they are in direct line originating from the ghost So if you are educated about the ghost Then first of all You will know how to behave when it comes to them You will no longer grieve over uh, Overly over people who die You will know that they are entities Who are interested in your energy And then they will come as soon as you only allow this, you know because this is not automatically. They cannot come and take your energy and give you, and give you negative emotions. This does not happen happen automatically. You need to give your permission for that. And if you give your permission for that, and there are so many instances where you can do that, like let's say you are drinking too much alcohol you are um, having drugs, you are having uh, addictions, I mean real addictions of any sort a kind, then you are likely to attract also ghosts. Of course, we don't have the time here to explain every aspect, and that is why I'm mentioning the books, because the books are explaining all these things in the greatest detail.
1: Well, and listeners, you can find um, everything about the books and um, Wanda's visit to Chicago. She um, will be in Chicago starting um, tomorrow with sessions, She'll, uh, giving a personal lecture on October tenth, tomorrow, from three thirty to six thirty. Um, at, at actually, she's starting in Madison, Wisconsin. So that's tomorrow at Mimosa Books and Gifts, and then no, she will already,
2: be. No, that already that already was. Uh, last Saturday
1: oh I'm sorry the 10th Uh, I'm so sorry I'm looking at this I'm thinking we have Uh, have
2: the 13th already
1: I'm in too many worlds, You've lost okay? lost three sorry. Days of
2: your life. <laughs>
1: so so October 17th, I am so sorry, yes. from 2 to 6 p.m. at the Copernicus um center in uh Chicago, Illinois, and that will um be from 2 until 6 p.m. And then also October 18th uh at the Evolve for Inner Peace from 2 to 5 p.m. and that will be in Crystal Lake, Illinois, which isn't too far outside of Chicago. Um and then um On October 25th, she'll be at the Healing Arts Metaphysical Center in Batavia, Illinois. And then on November 7th, she'll be at Inner Path in Indianapolis, Indiana. And you can um, Mm -hmm. call for information to, you know, Wanda will be doing the lectures, but also uh, doing private consultations and take advantage of of this while she's here in the U.S., Um, you know, she can help you. And so her phone, the phone number to schedule a session or to find out about the lectures is 914-662-9763. I'm going to repeat that. It's 914-662-9763. You can also visit her website, which is um, www.wandawandapratnica, which is P-R-A-T, n i c k a dot com and mike am i seeing it correctly is it Pratnika or is it pratnik am i seeing it correctly
2: um well, you can say either way we have okay. even an a a a more easy going website which is exactly the same website but it is very uh, easy to write down which is possessed by ghost it is one word possessed by ghost dot com okay and and there you can, of course, find all the information. You can find the meetings in the Chicago area. You can find phone numbers, et cetera. You can write us e- emails. You can uh, call us. Uh, we are communicating from people from all over the world since this is, of course, an issue that concerns every nation worldwide. Wanda's books has been translated to many, many languages, and uh, right now we're going intensely to the U.S. Since we're getting um, almost, we have almost all books translated now to English. We have four books in English, and um, so uh, so you've mentioned the help Wanda is offering. I mean the help because some of the listeners can can. Um, Think, or they may not be very clear in what that help is. I mean, you can, when you contact us via email or phone, you can basically ask Wanda if there is the influence of ghosts in your life. Um, And if that is so, you can say, okay, what can I do? I have ghosts. They are making my life bad. They are giving me negativity. They are taking my energy. Um, They are giving me depression and various other um, disturbances. What can I do? And then Wanda has this unique gift to free people from these influences. But she does not have to be with the person. She can do that remotely, so she only needs your first name, last name, date of birth, and where you are staying. And um, according to that data, she can locate every person in the world, and she can um, cleanse that person remotely, meaning that she is going to take the ghost or ghosts that are with the person, and she is going to do that every single day, Um, out of a period of three months because our experience is that it is really insufficient to do cleansings only once or twice or five times or even ten times. Um, People very often need to become adjusted to the situation where they are free from that influence because in many instances they are not really conscious or they're not really clear if the thoughts they are having are their own thoughts or the ghost thoughts or if their emotions are their own emotions or the ghost emotions so you need to see a ghost and a living incarnated person if they are together then their mental bodies their thought body and their emotional body they have just become One, you know, there are a fused, it is a fused uh, object pen and it is very difficult for the people to just recognize is this myself or is this the ghost emotion and that of course gives us a lot of trouble because we need to take decisions every second of our lives and sometimes we are taking our decisions because of my own emotions and thoughts and sometimes I'm taking the decision. If I'm with the ghost, then I'm going to take the decision because of the ghost. And I know that situation very well because for 30 years of my life, I was in that situation. So,
1: You know, that's what I was going to ask you with your father. We never finished that story. So is that is that how that played out?
2: Yes. Um, I was looking since I was six. I, of course, started to feel bad. I've started to feel a lot of negativity. I've started to have a lot of experiences where I was very sure that this is not supposed to be like this. I know sometimes, you know, when you are looking at your life, you have the feeling that this is something that it makes it makes no sense to have that experience in your life. And I had a lot of experiences like that because my father was experiencing through my physical body so to speak you know but these were not my own experiences they they were his experiences and the universe is there very clear on that you know the universe is saying on it makes only sense if there is only one soul within one physical body because then I mean we are here to learn and that learning process is very much disturbed if the ghost is interoperating in the whole issue, if he is giving the incarnated person challenges, because this is not the person's challenges, not the incarnated person's challenges, but this is the ghost's challenges, and his challenges should not play out in a physical body of somebody else. So that because is each why soul the, has... Mm-hmm.
1: Each because each soul has their own destiny and path and when it gets mixed up this is, is this this is what you're seeing is causing the mental exactly. confusion and all yes. the um the confusion in the body.
2: Exactly. That's exactly the point. Uh because you know the universe has to react to your decision to be with ghosts. I mean we are taking that decision. It is not that it happens automatically, you know. Uh, I was mourning over my father too much. He said I had to experience the, the challenges originating from my own decision, you know. Or you have an addict one and he's taking drugs and then he's attracting a ghost with exactly this, that same addiction because only that way the ghost can get, Okay. That addiction fulfilled, you know. He cannot get that in the astral realm. He can only get that fulfilled over someone who is incarnated on a physical plane because alcohol or drugs, this is not a, a substance that is found in the astral body. This is a physical substance, you know. So they need to find someone in the physical world who is doing exactly the same thing and then they are great friends because they have... They share common interests, you know? Mm -hmm. And if that happens, then the universe has to show that person that this is an extremely poor choice to be with ghosts because you are going to get negativity, you are going to get depression, you are going to get... your life is not going to function as it should, your relationships are not going to function Your finances are not going to function Uh, because the world of the ghost is just the world of denial, you know. And you cannot, money in our world is, is energy, so you can acquire a lot of energy out of thankfulness, out of gratitude, out of being with the universe together, you know, if you are doing this wisely. Sometimes we, of course, have people who are rich, but they are not doing that way. But this is a different thing, and I don't want to talk about this right now. But if you want to be really wealthy, I mean, if that wealth is originating from your inside uh, structure, then you need to be very, very grateful. Then you have to be with the universe all the time. And the ghost is, of course, disturbing that situation. If you ha- want to have a great relationship, you have to be with the universe. If you have to manage your project and you have and you want the project to become a perfect um, thing, then you may not allow goals to play a role into that because the universe is the constructive thing and the goals are the destructive thing. So you will right. see a lot of destruction in your life if there are goals. So. The thing is that my life did not function as it should, and I felt it, and I was looking for solutions, and I was going all over the world. You You know, I was seeing so many people, but nobody could explain me the thing like Wanda could, which I found in my own home country, namely in Poland. You know, I was traveling all around the world, but then all of a sudden the universe is pointing my attention on Wanda and is saying, go there talk to that person, which I did, and then she explained to me within 30 minutes everything I needed to know, and then I said, oh my God, and then I undergone that cleansing process, and I have experienced in my own life how well that feels to be without the girls. and then I said, look, I am not going to produce jewelry any longer, because at that time I was running a a company. Uh, I was producing uh, jewelry for the US market uh, and was selling that jewelry at home shopping network. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I am going to help you with everything I can with my resources, with my languages, with everything I have. So that people just get that information because that information can change their life dramatically. So that's how how I am here sitting and talking to you.
1: So, well, and I'm glad you found your way to Wanda. I mean, you know, I knew, I just knew we could t- you know, all night long just different stories or cases that Wanda has helped with, but um I knew we could, we would never have a loss for words here, but um and we've touched on so many things, but one thing that we haven't discussed that I would like to discuss is um, two things. When a person commits suicide, how that affects the soul, number one. And number two, mm-hmm. how ghosts, I think I already know the answer to this, but you know, just so you could maybe explain it, um, how ghosts can actually, when they um influence a person at the level we're talking about actually bring a person to the point where suicide seems the only only way
2: well you know um sometimes when a ghost is approaching you or me or whomever in the world you know because of common interest of course i always am trying to convey the information that this is not an outside force that is making you to be something or or making you to feel bad, you know. Nobody can hurt you if you are not agreeing to this. If you are not agreeing to go, if you are conscious about that um, level, then you will never be concerned with goals. And your life will have challenges, but you will not have that intense negativity in your life. You know, you will still have challenges. But sometimes when the ghost is approaching a person, then their relationship is becoming closer and closer, and the ghost is getting more and more close to the person until a moment comes where the ghost is just out of that attracting thing, that magnetic thing, into your physical body, And sometimes the ghost is really unhappy because of that. Because he is then in a physical body that was not built for him. It was built for the soul, for the human incarnated person who is inside the physical body. And then when he is very, very unhappy, and sometimes that is really the case, then he is going to do whatever it takes to get out of that physical body. The problem is that he does not have the energy to get out of the physical body of that person and he does not have the knowledge because the astral world is a closed world it's a world where a lot of information is found but that is a static information it's like a book knowledge, you know it is not like in the higher world where Wanda is operating where you will find every answer to every question you are asking you know, you know every second what to do, what to say so that you are doing the right way for yourself and for the others. The ghost does not know that. And then he is just trying to get out of the physical body of that person, but he does not know how. And the only way he finds is the knowledge that he has from his own life. He knows that when his physical body was dying, then he went out of the physical body. And then he knows that he has to do whatever it takes to convince that person to kill himself. And um, then he is going, of course, to make the world bad for that person. He is going to say the world is bad all the second, every second of the life. You know, you spill your coffee on the table and the ghost is going to tell you, oh, the world is such a bad place. You, know? you are going to have any experience. The ghost is going to tell you, oh, the world is such a bad place to live. You know, And then if you are bombarded with that all the day long All the night long Because the ghost is staying with you also in the night Then you are becoming weaker and weaker and weaker And then one day you may say to yourself Okay, my only solution to end that suffering is to kill myself Which is of course a very, very poor, poor choice too you have to get rid of the ghost, but not to get rid of your physical body. Because right. if you do so, then your physical, then your experience is going. To, because if you lose this the physical body by the means of the of the suicide, well, then a very dark reality you are going to face, which is also a choice. Because you have chosen to kill your physical body, you know, to just deny that there is only good residing in the world. You know, you have closed your eyes to the good, you have opened your eyes to the negativity. And so that will have um, consequences and that are going to be bad consequences. It are going to be very painful consequences where your soul will experience after your physical body is dead. Still, in the end, after that su- that suffering ends someday, and you will still go into the light, finally, you know. But the wisdom is to know about these things so that you don't go these paths, that you are stay away from these paths, so that you can live wisely and full of light, not only into this world, in this world, when you were when you were incarnated, but also after your physical body is gone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, this is fascinating work. You know, I mean, I'm not saying anything you don't know, but you know. Mike, I'm just curious, you know, I I know Wanda sees people. I mean, the her books have been translated in Russian and Japanese and English and so many other languages and more more coming um as you know, as time as time goes by and people get are hearing about her. And can you tell our listeners in case they're thinking, "Oh, this only happens to old people or young people or whatever." Um what what age and what's is there a particular sex um uh, that most clients are, or is it just diverse or what 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 is the most that she's seeing right now?
2: when it comes to girls, you're actually there is actually no scheme there is no scenario where I could say, "Okay, this concerns more men or this concerns more uh, poor, educated people." or this concerns more children, or this concerns more very old people, sick people I mean, you are going to find relationships between people, human incarnated people and ghosts everywhere You will find this uh, in very educated households You will find this in among people who are very famous You will find this among people who are very, very poor You will find this among people who are very, very rich I mean, this concerns everyone because each person incarnated on Earth has a thing called emotions and these emotions can always be a magnet for the ghost because the ghost is operating in his emotional body so whenever you are developing any kind of negative emotions must be a negative emotion dog. If you are feeling joy all the time, you are not able to attract ghosts because they are operating only on the lowest levels of the astral world, which is fear, rage, hate, anger, um, jealousy, and so on. But if you are into this emotional state and show me a person on earth who is not from time to time into these emotional state, into this negative state, into fighting situation, into arguing situation
0: you know,
2: then they are likely of course to attract ghosts who are of the same kind, so to speak. So they are likely to attract ghosts who are having exactly that same trait. You know, and I'm not going to tell you that this is going to make you possess immediately. But if you are going into these states over and over and over again Then there is a chance that you are going to attract the ghosts more and more and more And that they will finally be able to influence you even all the time Or even jump into your physical body and influence you from there So... Uh... There is actually no group I could mention to you that is at special risk, you know. Everybody is at risk who is having emotions, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and, and we know that, you know, it's a vibrational thing, too. You know, the the more we keep our um, our vibration up, the less dense our bodies are, the more we are connected with the light and the love. But these entities are still looking, you know, that they're looking for their juice, so to speak.
2: Oh, and
1: yeah. um and you know, so this is just amazing powerful work. So if some of the symptoms that, you know, you heard tonight when um Mike was describing this and some of some of the symptoms can be of course depression or feeling isolated or mental disturbances or loneliness, um just just difficulty with learning, um you know, sometimes... Uh, a mind that's just not working right. And, you know, we have mental illness so much. You know, a lot of people that are mentally ill are really not mentally ill at all. You know, you've you've heard uh, Mike talking tonight. It's it's their minds and their emotional and physical bodies are are stuffed with other thoughts from other people. And, you know, it's interesting. I know we only have just a couple more minutes, but they have done studies now where people have had transplants from someone else's organ, and all of a sudden, those people, because there's a cellular memory in that organ that was put inside of another person's body, all of a sudden, they have completely different tastes for food. They have a different taste for all kinds of things, because that's what happens when you put something inside of someone. So when you think about a ghost attaching, everything you've described just makes perfect sense.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, this is completely... True, what you just said. I mean there are so many different possibilities of encounters you know and that is how I only can um, advise to go to the website possessedbyghost.com and to look at the symptoms and to look into how we can attract ghosts so that we are just educating ourselves so that we are going immediately our life much much better and if you still think that you need help, we can provide that help. I mean, by we, I'm only saying Wanda because I am not doing this. I am too weak for this, <laughs> you know. But still, uh, we can give you help. Wanda can give that help, and we can answer every question. So if you have uh, any question that arises during the this um, conversation, just... Drop us an email, give us a call. We're going to answer every question, as you might have. Yes.
1: And Wanda works by email, by phone, by fax. Um, by letter, she works with people all over the world. Um, she's a psychologist. If you joined us a little bit late, uh, in conclusion, she's a psychologist and a parapsychologist with degrees from the Institute of Economics and Culture in Moscow. She has worked all over the world, and we're lucky to have her in the USA. You can call 914 662 9763. Um, they are, the Wanda and her husband Mike will be uh, in Madison well they just were in Madison, Wisconsin but they're going to be in Chicago, Illinois Crystal Lake, Illinois Batavia, Illinois and Indianapolis, Indiana and I'm sure they would come to other cities if someone were to sponsor them and um, help. so know that that is an option too. But for this visit, you need to make your way um, to the Chicago and Indiana areas. And you know, Mike and Wanda, I know you've heard every bit, and I I just am so grateful for the work that you're doing. And um, just know you. that you know. Thank you for finding your way to Spirit Seeker. Okay, and thank I will so send much you a. For Okay, I will send you a link to um to the radio program. Okay. So thank, thank you. you both thank you so, so much, much and um and have a blessed evening. Okay.
2: And you too. All right. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Okay. All right, so listeners, that um, that was my first guest. That was Wanda Pret- Pretniak, who, um, because of the language, she, she can speak English, but it takes much harder for her to take the questions and translate. So that was her husband, Mike, who found his way to her and um, has been with her for many years. So that was part one of our show, and so I'm going to do um, the announcements, and then I'm bringing on my um, my second guest, Glenn Perry, who will be with us from eight until nine tonight. So the announcements are: first of all, I want to thank you for listening to the Spirit Seeker Radio Show um during the during the live shows and after we get the stats and we know you're listening, so we just want to thank you. The other thing is is that this radio show is um brought to you by Spirit seeker magazine, and my name is Cindy Meyer. I have been the publisher of Spirit seeker for um almost 20 years, it's hard to believe. Uh, we started off as a quarterly newsletter, then morphed into a bi-monthly um, magazine, and then in 2002 we became a monthly magazine. We are still a print magazine in the Midwest. You can find us in Chicago, St. Louis, Kansas City, and many, many cities throughout. We support over 25 conferences a year, so that's our way of reaching uh, an even, even greater audience, so to speak, That um, because our magazines are at those conferences and in the giveaway bags and we just want to support anyone um, especially the main uh, organizers who are bringing these conferences together to make the world a better place. Um, each month we have different articles, we have music reviews um, etc. and we've been published online since 1998 so you can read, it, read our, the monthly magazine at spiritseeker.com Now the best way to find out when the magazine is online and who who the radio show guests are, and you know different events coming to the u s uh and into Canada and Europe is to be a part of our sacrosanct email list and so our email list um go each week we send an email newsletter out, and um we just let you know about all these events, so all you have to do to find out is to send an email to info at asking to be added to our email list, and then you too will get a weekly email newsletter, and um, and even if you try and remember all the things that are going on, it's impossible, so that is just a mental jog, um, it's a mental reminder, so we, we are just fortunate at Spirit Seeker to be encountering for over 20 years all the different people that are on the front Run front lines, shall we say, of making the world a better place by bringing minds together, cultural creatives, and um, bringing us together to, with the intention of making the world a better place. Working with the mind, body, and spirit of individuals and uh, collective consciousness. Okay, so that's the, that's it for announcements. We get we now are going to um go to the second part of our interview and um I am delighted to uh, have Glenn Apertchill Perry, who is a uh, PhD psychologist who um, is the author of the best-selling book, Original Thinking, A Radical Revisioning of Time, (laughs) Humanity, and Nature. And um, Glenn has worked in the area of consciousness for a long time, bringing people together. He is an educator, an international speaker, he's an entrepreneur and a visionary whose lifelong passion is to reform thinking and education into a coherent, cohesive whole. So amazing. It's very much in line with what I was talking about bringing people together. He is the founder and the past president of the Seed Institute and is currently the president of the uh the think tank, the Circle for Original Thinking. So, Glenn, I want to welcome you and thank you so much for being my guest this
3: evening. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for your beautiful work in the world. Thank you for well, having me on the show.
1: I think we both know it's an honor and a privilege to um, to do this work. And I know you've been busy. You've been traveling again. Where Where have you been this last time? Because the last time um, when there was a snafu with the um, vlog talk, and I'm so glad things are back to working, you had just come mm-hmm. back from a long journey. And, and so where have you been recently? I'm just curious.
3: Uh, well, I was in... Uh Let's see. Where was I most recently? (laughs) I'm already on the future, so I'll be going back to San Francisco um, in uh, just a few days, and then uh, uh, I'll be presenting um, down in San Jose at the uh, Science and Non-Duality Conference. But first, I have the honor of going back to my alma mater, the California Institute of Integral Studies, to do uh, a program for their alumni, uh, and that will be on the 20th and then uh, I'll be presenting on the 25th uh, at the last day of the science and non-duality conference and uh, looking forward to that i mean that's that's uh that's very much where i'm coming from uh original thinking is really about recovering the full continuum of consciousness and allowing uh, ourselves to be reunited with the source of our consciousness. So that's if that's not non-dual, I don't know what is.
0: <laughs> well, and <laughs> but and before been, then, been... <laughs> I,
3: to answer your question, I was in Crestone, I think Crestone, Colorado, and I left there oh, with a
0: wonderful. with a yak.
3: Uh, I, I took a photo. There was a there was a yak who escaped from the yak farm who was. Uh, Coming down the road, and I was presenting at a conference for a Psyche. I don't know if you know about Rob Williams Yeah, Psyche. Yes, I Psy-K. do. Absolutely. Well, there you yeah. go. Of course you do. So, so yeah, <laughs> Rob Rob really liked my book and wanted me to present for his uh, instructors. So, I mean, I've been in a lot of places, but uh, yeah, that's, that would take up the whole show. Let's not do that. Well,
1: and I know because there's so many things we can talk about. Your book, um, your book evolved out of the work that you've done, and um, you know. And I'm just going to read the, the the first paragraph of of the preface. It's and you know, okay. and then we're going to jump right into this. It says this book emerges out of the Language of Spirit Dialogue Conferences sponsored by the Seed Institute, which I mentioned earlier, an education institution that was founded by Glenn. These uh, seminal gatherings were held annually. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, U.S., between 1999 and 2011, and brought Western hmm. scientists together with indigenous elders to explore the underlying reality of the cosmos. That alone is just fascinating to bring scientists with indigenous cultures. I mean, yes, I know we have anthropologists, et cetera, but scientists?
0: Well,
3: uh, you know, as I go on to explain in that preface, I mean, I inherited a tradition. So I mean I have to give I'm very, very blessed to to just be in the mix of some uh, amazing people in my life. Uh, I I uh, uh, my mentor into Native America was Dan Moonhawk Alford and uh uh Moonhawk had been invited by his mentor, Sagesh Youngblood Henderson, to attend these uh, dialogues that were first organized by uh, Leroy Little Bear and David Peet, who approached David Bohm and wanted to organize this meeting of the minds between mainly quantum physicists, Native American elders, and linguists. See was a linguist. He was a consciousness linguist. He He described himself as standing at the lonely intersection of quantum physics, Native America... Consciousness and language, uh, and for many people that was a lonely intersection. I mean, you know, it just—it's not where. But that's what he, he taught a class that I was blessed to be in in 1983 at the California Institute of Integral Studies. That's what we did. We went to that intersection, or it's really a confluence like rivers, how they flow together. And you know, as I explained in the preface, he 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 told us we needed to keep a diary. A diary, a personal diary. Not a diary about what we did in the class. A personal diary. And at first I thought, well, that's really confident of him. But he knew that that class was going to change our lives. And so he wanted us to document it as it changed. (laughs) It was beautiful because that's exactly what happened for for me and for all my classmates.
1: Wow. Well, and that, okay, you have studied... It sounds like many different Native American traditions. I mean, what indigenous cultures have you brought all together with your work?
3: Well, uh, another thing that I like to... uh, It's funny, we're we're kind of on the preface here now. I mean, one of the things I like to say, first of all, to your listeners, right away I don't consider myself an expert on Native America. In fact, I would say I don't consider myself or aspire to be an expert on anything. (laughs) That's partly because what I do aspire to... Is beginner's mind, um, and um, you know, I did live in Japan for three and a half years. My wife is Japanese. Um, it was uh, D.T. Suzuki who said a very beautiful thing when he said, "To a to a beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. To an expert's mind, there are few." So
0: <laughs> that's that why I aspire toward way.
3: beginner mind, because because original thinking in the way that I'm conceiving of it is a is an increasingly inclusive interconnected and whole form of thinking. So, in order to be that way, you have to let go of what you think you know to be open to inspiration coming in, you know. Uh and I think that's the way um that's the way so much of the world works and we don't recognize that. We've gone away from that so that we've emphasized rational thinking and we think about it as the pinnacle of thought. And the ancient Greeks also thought of it as the pinnacle of thought, but what most people have kind of glossed over is, for the ancient Greeks, it was the pinnacle, but it also was the most beautiful form of thought. So for the Greeks, you know, rational, the word comes from ratio or relationship between things. So for the ancient Greeks, it was all about divine proportion, harmony, and beauty, um the sacred ratio, the golden mean I'm sure some of your listeners have heard of that's the kind of uh that's the kind of rational thought i'm that I do resonate with very much and but that kind of thought emerges after our gut instincts, our intuitions our heartfelt yearnings come to flower, then we know why we know. Then we then we can we can see things correctly. Then it's then it's it's um, your knowledge is emergent from living nature. So that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, um, for me, you asked about Native America. Um, my I've I've have made some beautiful contacts with Native America. I don't want to ignore where you're going there um i've been greatly blessed the you know native americans and indigenous people in general have have taught me so much i just don't want to consider myself an expert though because one of the main things that they've taught me is to get out of rational mind to get out of this mindset that thinks we know things and really the real seed of knowledge is in nature so it's a continual process of emptying out and going back to the natures and praying asking for inspiration that's what turns me on that's what I love to do and that's uh, I just came back from doing ceremony with uh the Canyoncito band of Navajo I do every year um with and that was grandfather Leon Secatero's tribe that was very and grandfather Leon was just one of the most beautiful beautiful people i've ever met and the softest and most mellifluous sweet person that i've ever met and, and so so i really uh i love to to share time with uh his whole family his his children his own children by the way told me once that you know he never got angry at them all of his children said that can you imagine that a father who never got angry at their children
0: that's a special man <laughs> Yes,
3: he is. He's pretty. He's pretty. He had patience. He he recognized that if there was a perturbation in the field, if there was something that was that was that was a little bit off, that it would pass. So one of the things he said is, in time, a negative becomes a positive. You know, and and uh, it's very true. He also said a positive in time a positive becomes a negative, <laughs> which means, which just means that it's a way of the the earth balancing, the way of people balancing. We're part of that. So mm-hmm. uh, I hope that explains something to you. I mean, it's just... It uh,
1: absolutely does. Okay. It absolutely yeah. does. And, and you know, when you were describing um, uh, Grandfather Leon in your book, I loved how you said that um, his voice was very gentle and it was almost like being sung a lullaby when he spoke. And, you know, yes. I mean, that that's vibrational. I mean, that is just totally, um, I thought that was beautiful the way you described that. So, did the seed, did the seed group come from um, the seeds that were planted from all of the different teachers you studied with or where did you come up with the name for that? And,
0: um, uh, would you
1: mind uh, talking about that just for a few minutes? um, uh,
3: Seed, uh, um, which was a non-profit that I uh, uh, founded and, and ran for 17 years um, I, I wanted to co- start with the name Seed, just because it was so seminal, and then I figured it w- I would make an acronym. I actually made an acronym in about 15 minutes, you know, um, um, and I called it initially the Source for Educational Empowerment and Community Development. That kind of morphed into in Community Dialogue over time. Um, the C was small because <laughs> community begins small, but Seed began as an open university or a or network of learning seminars and workshops but then our work became and it's really its initial mission was balancing the practical and the spiritual but that kind of led toward um, it led in the direction of Native America a lot. Um, My buddy Dan Moonhawk-Alfred used to come in the the very early years um, and he taught a class called God is not a noun in Native America Um, and then uh, and then it was uh, in 1999 that we began the dialogue series, The Language of Spirit, which we ran for 13 years. Uh, and uh, it's really a, a full course. So it was a beautiful, beautiful um, experience, which is very foundational to the book, Original Thinking, because dialogue deeply meaningful to me and to a lot of people who stick with it. It's not easy for the western mind to even conceive of a dialogue circle particularly one that that has a strong native influence leroy Littlebear was the moderator so the native people in the circle and the western people who understood the uh how this works um were free to speak as long as they like as long as spirits moving through them and they're holding a talking stick which in our case was simply a microphone um because we did record them um but uh uh, you can read books on dialogue by, I think there's one by William Isaacs, um, who who states categorically that, you know, talking too long is rude. Well, that's a really Western idea. <laughs> <laughs> and it, often in Western circles, it is rude. But if you're in a circle where you've prepared the space in a way, where you've done ceremony, you've said your prayers, uh, and you've created a sacred space and spirit is moving through the speaker, then it's not rude to allow to speak the full piece that you're intended to speak.
0: Um,
3: So that's part of it. It was just a very, very beautiful thing. It allowed me to realize that that deeper meaning came when the mind slowed down. Because that's not the way I was raised. I was raised in New York, actually. And conversation was a ping-pong match there, if you know what I mean. Right.
1: I totally do, and you know it's funny i when you were talking about you know the talking stick and how one person speaks longer, um I had my own experience with this, <laughs> and I think you know we're all part of the group mind, of course, we know that, but I mm-hmm. was once uh in a group therapy for stepmothers, okay. Mm-hmm. And raising we the common denominator was we were all raising someone else's children, and um, and the challenges that go with it. So, the the facilitator, mm-hmm. you know, I, finally, I just raised my hand because I was exactly I, I'm not a New Yorker, but I at that time I had this like snap, snap to me, and some people mm-hmm. just talk forever, and then you get to the end, and whoever was at the end would like have to, like, share quickly, and so I remember saying to the therapist, I think you should set a timer, and if there are mm. eight of us in the group, and we have this much, everybody, and and she just looked at me and smiled, you know, just just smiled. Good for her, I guess. I, I, and, yeah, I, but, I, but it's I, that impatience, and oftentimes the person who's speaking is speaking exactly your thoughts in, in a better way than you could have ever done it yeah the impatience in our society
0: yeah
3: well we we learn more by listening than speaking so so um when dialogue is cooking you think you're thinking something i say that carefully you think you're thinking something because our thoughts are not really our thoughts they're just simply we have a vibrational frequency we attract thoughts to us when we're in a field with another person we're close to, we share thoughts. When you're in a dialogue circle, you share thoughts with a whole bunch of people. And so you, you think you're thinking something, and then somebody else opens their mouth and says it. You know, So in group therapy, one of the reasons it works, obviously, is you can learn from other people's Experiences, but but we're but you know it sounds like this is something that you experience that you've now have a different way of looking at things. <laughs>
1: oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But
3: but, <laughs> but, but, but you know uh, it's totally understandable that you know you were coming out of a. It doesn't matter about I, I mentioned New York, but the whole society here ever since um, um, Newton has believed in a concept of absolute time which actually is a very um uh limiting way to look at time which looks at time really as intervals um and therefore we get this idea about you know that when we're sharing time together we want it to be very egalitarian but you know but time is so much more than that time is what grandfather leon used to say is that time is the fifth element what do you think of that
1: I I I think it's beautiful and
3: um What does also, it mean though?
1: Well, I'll tell well, you exactly well, what it means. I'm a, okay, I, sure. I I work with space and and quantum physics, you know, there is no time. Mm-hmm. I mean, things can shift exponentially in a second, yeah. that fast. And, you know, when I was reading uh different parts of your book, I loved absolutely loved. Never knew this how you said the origin of the word thinking is thanking because our thoughts were originally prayers and i thought oh you know and then our the original purpose of thinking was to express our gratitude and renew our relationship with creation so and that's the you know that's the ancient way of thinking you know holding this mysterious power like giving gratitude like how you were talking before and how before there were cities and we looked up at the sky and, you know, we looked at the earth and we felt the elements and, you know, yeah. I mean, and I I, I think that that fifth element that you're talking about is advanced consciousness, like being really awake.
3: Mm-hmm. That's probably a good, good way of thinking about it. Um, you may have a more advanced way of thinking about it than I do, perhaps. But I, I just... Um, Uh, I'm glad you went to the origin of thinking is thanking because you know most of the time I like to begin uh, talks I give with a prayer because and then I go right to uh, because first of all it just puts me in a beautiful place I don't believe our thoughts are our thoughts I don't want to be too planned in what I'm going to say I never do so I allow whatever comes through to come through that's the way that I practice praying every day and you have to empty out to praise. I mean, you know, it's a look, today it's a it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful autumn day. I mean, now it's now it's evening and uh, just just uh um uh, a few weeks ago we had the the lunar eclipse. We have this amazing powerful energy of all the elements that are created here on the planet. I mean, the light, the air, the water and the earth, they're just so beautiful that's what we are made of you know and i i just so grateful for that i mean i'm grateful for the trees that give out the breath of life that we give back to them in a sacred circle uh, i'm grateful for all the critters that that we share this planet with and this beautiful web of life this is just you know the beauty the immense beauty of this planet you know uh uh, is almost overwhelming at times, you know, if you just are sit with the earth. Uh, it's just so amazing. So so thank you for, for bringing up The Origin of Thinking is Thanking. It's absolutely true. Your listeners probably are not aware of it because it's not something that ever is emphasized. But, you know, in English, uh, uh, French, German, Dutch, Frisian, and, and uh, uh Um, some uh, old English, uh, in at least seven languages that I know of, and then probably way more, the actual origin of the word is linked. So in English, uh, thinking uh, is related to a Proto-Germanic word, pankas, which also is related to another Proto-word meaning tongue or feeling. So another thing about thinking is that at its origin it was connected with thinking, with feeling and emotion. (laughs) But today, we've separated uh, emotion from thinking. You know, so you have like the Carl Jungian uh, quadrant of thinking, sensation, feeling, intuition. These are all considered separate, but for me, they're all one continuum. I I think if you really kind of Drop into your body and begin to experience how things well up within you. Uh, then you'll realize that um, I can't speak for you or anybody, but I—that's my strong instinct <laughs> that it's all connected for for everyone. And we—and if we went there uh, and felt that, we would feel so much more whole. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
1: It it makes it does make sense and um, mm. you know your book starts with you know there's the the first three parts and then there's the fourth part and you know uh-huh. you start with the original earliest roots where we you know where we have all come from so to speak with the ancient indigenous um, peoples and to modern times and you know you've studied with so many fascinating people so. You know, Glenn, what, what do you think right now with, with you know, I, I love, does anyone have an original thought anymore? I mean, is it what happened to our original thinking? You know, are, are we a, a melting pot of thoughts, so to speak? Um, what do you think right now is the biggest thing that is keeping us from being connected? I mean, there's a lot of separation in our culture. Yes, there is a lot more coming together, the Internet has helped, and and people coming together in community. But there's also a lot of separation going on right now. And how do you feel that the thinking has changed to where it's polarity versus us being more together?
3: Wow. Okay, that's a very, very big question you've asked, basically. Um, But uh, uh, I'll address it. And then, if you want to come in, uh, you know, because if I fully answer, it would take it, would, it might take a little bit of time. Um, but uh, first, let me go to where you mentioned about the internet. People think about that a lot. And what kind of community is the internet? Well, I would I would say that all the technology that's emergent now is a preparation for us to remember what we used to be able to do, which was to connect psychically. <laughs> <laughs> I became hyper aware of this when I was working closely with my editor on the book. Um uh, her name's Joanne O'Brien Levin or you know, I, and I I had other editors too. <laughs> so this this is particular to Joanne O'Brien Levin. Um I knew that she had sent me an email. I knew that she'd sent it just then, I knew what was in the email, but I still checked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? So so um it's All the technology, the way that we have cell phones and that kind of thing is just a way of remembering that we're all cells of one larger body. Um, and we're all part of the same consciousness flow. But, you know, indigenous peoples um, and people from all ancient cultures understood this well. So, you know, let's take the concept of smoke signals, one of the things that's most misunderstood. I'm not talking about the wonderful movie. I'm talking about the actual smoke signals. Most people think that Smoke signals are something, you know, somehow the smoke goes through a blanket or something and forms some letters, and people see some kind of an idea or a thought that's in the sky there. That's kind of ridiculous, actually. All a smoke signal was, for ancient cultures, was to put up a big flame of smoke so that the person they wanted to connect with psychically would get their attention, then they would fuse minds. That's what smoke signals were. So, there, so that was an original form of communication. It's kind of similar to the cell phone kind of thing, or somebody's texting something, and then you just get somebody's attention, then you get there. Okay. So you're asking, how did consciousness change? So the, the, the briefest answer I could give for that is that different aspects of the continuum of consciousness were accented in different times in our history. Um, What I would like to see is for us to reclaim all those different aspects of consciousness. So in ancient times, we had different kind of skills. Long before rational thought was created, the pyramids were created in Egypt, right? We today have no idea how they created the pyramids. (laughs) Because we, even with our technology, we cannot move stone that large, we cannot cut stone that large, and we cannot position stone that large in all of these, it's not just in Egypt, and all these monolithic structures that were around the globe. Some people dismiss it as space aliens, and I don't know, I'm not saying it isn't that, but, but whatever it was then, there was an ability... I don't like to go there, actually, about the space aliens, to tell you the truth. I like to emphasize something different, which I think there was a different ability. What Edgar Casey said, the ancients built the Great Pyramids by the same principle that allowed stone to float in the air. What that means to me? Psychokinesis. People were able to move things with their mind. I think that was something we were able to do in our ancient history and now there's just a very few people that know how to do that. And we get a little freaked out by that ability when people still have it. And so we make horror movies about it, you know, and all kinds of things like that. And um, But really, it's just a part of our consciousness that we could do it. I could do it when I was a child, actually. I used to be able to have dice become a 3 or an 11. Um, I lost that ability, fortunately, in a way before I could go to Las Vegas or something, and you know, it might have tickled my greedy bone too much. But, but uh, uh, still, anyway, um, then much later, we developed uh, other forms of consciousness. We particularly developed rational thinking, like we were talking about before. But then, we overemphasized it. So some of the great teachers that I've learned from, I would say, Jean Gebser writes about this. Sri Aurobindo writes about it from the, from the uh, Vedic tradition. Um, we need to get past mental or rational mind and get to a supramental or a, uh, what Gebser would call an integral consciousness. Um, and that's going to be a larger umbrella in which rational thought will fall under. And I'm also interested in, like I was saying before, in reclaiming those gut instincts. Cause those are super important. That's what connects us with everything, etc. So, now, to answer your question most directly, what do I think needs to change the most? I'll go to this place every time. What needs to change is we need to remember that the elements are alive. <laughs> Because what happened when we overemphasized rational thought, and this happened with the advent of linear perspective, is that we stopped feeling the pulse of the earth. We stopped feeling the living world soul from the earth, the anima mundi it was called, and we began to imagine that consciousness came from our head and our eye, and we projected onto nature. Um, so uh, that had a lot of good repercussions in that we were able to isolate things and we and it was the it was the foundation of scientific thinking but it created the idea that the elements are not alive they're just the parts or the constituents of life so and there's nothing that could be more important in my opinion than to remember that Water is alive. That the air is alive. That the soil is alive. That you know the atmosphere is alive. Because if we did that, we would treat it properly. We wouldn't. I, I let me rephrase it. Because I hate the word "it." That's a problem with the English language. We would treat the living elements properly. You almost have to put a pronoun. To say we would treat the water. Treat her properly you know because as long as you say it you'll never get there for what i'm trying to propose here so we need to treat water as alive if we and as kin as our relations cuz we're 70% water the ancients understood this so well as da vinci spoke about you know we are 70% water just like the oceans fill the earth They're 70% water. The bones of our body are connected to the rocks which form the foundations of the earth. Um, You know, every element is within and without in, in somewhat equal proportion to the planet. And that's why we need to remember this, because then we're going to treat the planet correctly, and we're going to end up being healed. Right now, we're not healed. That wow. that'll be that'll be it, Cindy.
0: <laughs>
1: well and you know, people, you know, what what do we say about water? Water is a force to be reckoned with. You know, I mean it can it can you know, wear away a stone. It I mean and when you think about, you know, the fact that we are seventy percent water and you think about Master Omoto's work where, you know, he showed the the literal changes in the prisms, the cellular molecular structure of the water in our bodies through our thoughts. Yeah. When you think about, you know, the... That was good. um, Well, when you think about the ramifications of that, you know, and understanding quantum physics, you know, What the Bleep Do We Know, you know, was such a fascinating movie because people had never really thought about it. And, you know, one of my favorite books is Cosmic Consciousness, you know, where, you know, where all these famous philosophers or existentialists came to this moment where everything was one it was like 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 take it and just you know like there's no there's just no separation but i love the threads that you wove together to bring us back with the question of what can we do to remember or to to reconnect and you know, the Egyptians were fascinating. You know, I've been to Egypt. I was there in 2008.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, part of why I wanted to go there is, I, I, from the time I was a little girl, I always wanted to go to Egypt. And, you know, my mm. the, the, the adults that lived across the street, the family, you know, that lived there, they traveled all over the world. And they brought this um, beautiful, it was like a dresser cloth of the pyramids to my mom and dad. And I don't know mm. how I wound up with it. And... From the time I was little, mm-hmm. I would just look at that and I'd think, oh, I'm going there. And I don't know, I could, that's the whole story how I wound up there. But um, but the thing of it is, is this. When you look at the hieroglyphs, you know, up at the top of this one, you know, um, one, what do you call it? Like, <laughs> I can't even talk. I'm so amazed at some of the stuff we're talking about. But, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was where you looked up and you had to know where it was. And you would see there was a picture at the top of this like inside the structure that they built, where there were they came by planes, they came by submarines uh-huh. and they came by helicopters, and there weren't even these kind of um forms of transportation back when these hieroglyphs were drawn at the top of the uh-huh. ceiling in the back part, you know and you know, you, you, the Rosetta Stone is like, you know, the the emblem, you know, was, was like on another stone Way in the back Like you had to know where these places were And, uh-huh. you know, and you think about how they didn't have to talk They could beam sex They didn't even have to, like, I mean, they were so advanced They used their minds to connect yes. on every level
3: That's right That's right and, so yeah. you're
1: just saying we all need to remember. We need to remember. Well, you know, uh, yeah,
3: and 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 remember. You know, you're talking Egyptians. It comes, you know, the actual the story of of, of Set and Osiris is part of. That. So, so with you know the the body parts that are dismembered and scattered and then recollected. They're remembered. That is actually um, the real meaning of remember.
1: Oh boy, I did not. You ever, know, you know I, I the Chinese culture, the worst death is death by slices because they throw the parts all over, and then they have to come back together for the soul to be. That's the thought anyway. But but I never thought about dismemberment and re. I I never got uh, this. You're a linguist. Uh, you are good.
3: Well, I like words. I'm not. A, you know, uh, you have to. It's <laughs> very important to pay attention to worse because that's where the archaeology of the mind is found but i want to go to where you talked about water and emoto because i was blessed to be part of uh, a conference that the hopis put on in 2008 on hopi land where they invited masato emoto and he came all the way from japan to go to hopi land uh, part of the conference was held in flagstaff and part was held up on the hopi mesas um and uh Oh, they really liked Emoto.
0: <laughs>
3: but the mo- I think the most amazing thing said at the conference, for me, came from the Hopis, who were talking about the relationship between all the waters on the planet. They were talking about how the the underground water calls down the water from the sky. And, and that is, you know, and they were talking about how all the rivers, lakes, oceans are in communication, you know, and, uh, and, and that the human being is part of that, is an integral part of that. It made me realize that, you know, it, that our relationship with water and the planet goes far beyond what we typically focus on. Uh, And and the only thing that we tend to focus on is the tides, the movement of the tides at at the so-called spring tides, at new moon and full moon. We realize then that we're a little bit different. I mean, Western science doesn't exactly give it a lot of credibility, but, you know, most people realize that they feel a little bit different during the full moon and the new moon. But what they're probably not realizing, which really blew my mind when the Hopis were talking about it, is that we're actually affected by the hydrological cycle of water. (laughs) So so then I began to realize that actually talking language, Cindy, um, we have all kinds of metaphors which are related to the cycle of water. So we talk about a stream of consciousness. We talk about... Uh, thought going underground underground thought we thought, we talk about thought bubbling up from the earth we talk about um we talk about uh uh in this way, and the reason why we 're talking about it in this way is it 's true we also see thought itself as a cloud, so people who can see auras see it as your thought forms as clouds and you know when you're when you're moody and dark it can be a black cloud or you know it can be it it also is connected to beautiful bright light that almost becomes a halo um so all of that i think is connected with water you know and uh, it's pretty amazing huh
1: well, I'm a feng shui consultant and there
3: you, you know, go. one of the
1: things feng and shui is wind and water and yep. you know, we want we want the perfect harmony and balance that comes, you know, and um, you know, you don't want stagnation. You want movement, but you don't want a tsunami, right. you want a trickling stream and so you know, there's hmm. but but it you know, you know, it's the same thing with the wind. We don't want to be, you know, a tornado, we want a nice Balmy breeze that you know blesses us, you know, instead of knocks us yeah. over. But you know, yeah. you look at you look at the indigenous tribes, and you know, throughout every culture, there are different ceremonies for prayers, you know, for you know, honoring Mother Nature, honoring Mother uh, Mother Earth, Father Sky, like bringing in all. You know, I've studied with these bone monks from from uh, oh gosh, where were they from? I can't remember anymore. But they talked about you know, in the body there are the five elements. It's based on the Chinese five elements and how, um, Mm. you know, but the biggest, the most important is similar to what we're talking about with the water, the fact that our body is 70% water, is they say you have to have space in the body. And they're not talking about the mind. They're talking about space in the trunk of the body, how that is the most Mm. important for health and wellness. And then, you know, your head and your limbs are an extension, Almost it's like if you keep your body pure and flowing and in balance and your organs in balance and you keep space instead of you know too much stress on your heart or too much stress with your eating or your drinking or any of the other nonsense that we do um that that then creates you know the space for original thinking you know, so to speak. Like, yes. You know, if it's because if we're toxic and, you know, our minds are too cluttered, there's just, and our bodies are too cluttered, how in the world do we expect to be vessels of receiving beaming, you know, messages from each other, you know, or um, communicating in that way or coming from the heart to heart? So um, I I just... I think this book is fascinating, and um, listeners, I want to just mention that there are four parts to this book, and each one, um, each part addresses a different question, and the first one we've been touching on quite a bit is, is it possible to come up with an original thought? Another, Mm. um, another is, what does it mean to be human?
0: Right. Um,
1: The next is, how has our thinking created our world today, and what is now emerging,
2: and right. final,
1: um, and um, Glenn Aparicio Perry, the the wonderful guest you're hearing, has worked in the area of education for many years. And the, this final question is: Can educate education rather promote the renewal of original thinking? So I, you know, I like how you say the first question is intentionally a riddle, which is you know how the teachers from India teach how many natives <laughs> native. um uh, yeah. Chiefs lead, you know, they answer a question with a question, a riddle, you know, um, to encourage you to think. But, you know, Glenn, um, on on what does it mean to be human, I, I'd like you to, you know, just touch on that for a moment, because we're kind of in a dog-eat-dog world on so many levels, and with the elections in America, and, you know, everything that goes on with all of that noise. That's you my know, next although book.
3: I... My <laughs> next book is on politics.
1: Oh. <laughs> Oh my goodness, Politico! But you know what is the well,
3: root from po- d- 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 It's to dissolve the <laughs> dichotomy that's in politics. To dissolve oh. the dichotomy—that's my goal. And really, you, you, you dissolve it through unit of consciousness. It's not really. It's not really. It sounds like a total departure from original thinking, but it isn't. Um, it's really about getting back to that unit of consciousness. So anyway, um, you're asking about your it. <laughs> this book, what does it mean to be human um, uh, a lot of it has to do with reconnecting with all that we are uh part of. Um, the emphasis in the last five hundred years has gone a different direction with what it means to be human in antiquity. We understood our humanists through our relationships with the rest of creation in the last five hundred years we started to emphasize our separation our uniqueness as my friend dave abram says are you, we're uniquely unique <laughs> it wasn't enough for human beings to be just unique we had to be uniquely unique so we were really Fine. making ourselves separate and transcendent from nature um so um um suggesting to return to the direction of reconnection. In in every regard it's both end. it doesn't mean that we can't be uh can't use logical mind or rational mind but we need to have a direction and a prayer and a and connection with the living unfolding of nature. So you know the first part of the book had a lot to do with time actually, you know, the the uh uh the question about original thought led to the question of what is time, you know, and time really used to be the rhythms of nature. Then it became an abstraction. And when, it, when time became an abstraction, it wasn't long before we thought of humans as an abstraction. So that's how we got to being separate. You know, That's how we got to conceiving ourselves as separate and almost becoming proud of it. So we thought of ourselves as separate and unique, and we were proud of it. Um, and that's part of the thought process. Um, so we began to imagine that our thinking was separate. And we began to imagine that separate people had different thoughts, but not ev- you know not everybody on the planet thinks like that, Cindy. Because you know when I lived in Japan, for instance, I realized one day when I was standing in uh, Todai or Tokyo University Library, just looking at the books in English because I could only read Japanese in a child's level, but you know I was uh, looking at the psychology department, and all the books in that whole department would be under the category of social psychology here in america because for the japanese it was nonsensical to propose this idea of a separate consciousness that wasn't interconnected with other people they don't think like that it's really it's very similar to indigenous peoples their their understanding that our thoughts emerge in a field of community so i think that's actually truer to the reality and the illusion is that we're separate um, so the western illusion is, serves certain purposes but uh, it really is mostly uh, a little bit dysfunctional that's what alan watts used to talk about this this total absurdity about being an individual that was separate from everybody else um, that's not it it's not that we're not unique but we're completely radically interconnected with all the elements so that's part of it And that's why the third part of the book where I'm talking about how our thinking emerges connects us back to the elements. And I actually talked about paradigm. If you want to, I could even read that part of the book about uh, a vision came through for me about what a new, what a paradigm really is. Um, And then uh, the fourth part about education Really wanted to revision education back to before there were schools, you know. Because really, what is what is education ultimately? And it comes from the word educare. It's a drawing forth of what we know in our gut, and it's a reconnection, a remembering to our world. Um, but uh, what it's what it has become in school is another abstraction. So we learn knowledge about things, um, and our teachers our teachers don't have direct experience with what they're teaching that's not the way it used to be all teachers used to have direct experience and people used to learn by watching or they learned uh becoming an apprentice to somebody's knowledge but we've 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 made everything so abstract um that we learn all these abstract disconnected fragmented pieces of knowledge then we have to try to figure out how to put it back together again but it becomes a little bit like humpty dumpty and, you know, in, a, in an average school, different departments can no, they can no longer speak to each other because they all speak their own jargon, et cetera. So I'm definitely for holistic, interconnected, transdisciplinary education. But I'm also for really, ultimately, just learning how to think with yourself and nature. Uh, so would you like me to read, read about said- the paradigm or no?
1: Yes, please do.
3: Okay, so in the part where I was talking about uh, how our thinking emerges, you know, I realized that, you know, thinking emerges kind of in a circle. And then it kind of came to me that paradigms were really in a circle. And so what came through was that a paradigm is a constructed view of the world that originates in the patterns of nature, And it pervades societies, subcultures, and individual sentient beings in cycles of unfolding consciousness in in the same manner that nature unfolds. Each emergent idea includes what is already unfolded and is now tacitly understood. The entire movement of consciousness is contained within the circle of life and the cycle of the elements. From the creative fire of imagination fueled by air, cooled by water, and solidifying into earth, Until such time as earth dissolves in the water, water becomes air, air becomes fire, and fire's spirit, initiating the next grand cycle of the process and giving rise to everlasting cycles of renewal. And believe me, when that came through, I didn't know what it meant either.
0: (laughs) You are so funny. (laughs) (laughs) But
3: I trusted it. I trusted it, and I began to think about, well, what is that? And then I really yeah, began to that's when I began to realize yes, we're connected with the hydrological cycle.
0: Excuse me.
3: You know, oh, wow. and we're Gosh. connected with the way these elements emerge and there's something about it that you know, there's something about the way see the, the the most interesting thing about the elements to me is that there is no such thing as just water, just air, just soil. You know, it's all interconnected, <laughs> so it's like shape shifting, like the Indians talk about, you know, because because you know, like we're in school, we realized, you know, uh, water. I mean, you can create, you can you can heat water, you create steam, then then all of a sudden it's air. You can freeze it, it becomes earth, or you know, in the example I used another place in the book is looking at lava. What's lava? That's liquid fire. <laughs> <And I'll laughs> it's coming out for
0: here.
3: the... It's liquid <laughs> fire, and then it then it runs like a river to the ocean and creates more earth right in front of your eyes. So all the elements are interconnected, always.
0: Okay. And so is our
3: consciousness.
1: Absolutely kind-hearted man, which...
3: Oh, thank you, thank you.
1: Would you be kind enough to share your other name that you were um, blessed and bestowed with?
3: I was given the name Keshenabe, or Kind-Hearted Man, by Tobasanaquit Canoe, in an impromptu way, in a ceremony that was uh, a pipe ceremony. And I was singing, and Tobasanakwit, Said later that the spirits told him to bestow me a name then because the spirits liked the way that I was singing, and usually I don't mention anything about that, and I didn't I didn't go public with that name for a very long time. Um, I did in the book bio, I I gave my name as and and translation as kindhearted man because it really is a sacred responsibility or obligation for me and so you know i i hope that when i go out in the road and when i'm talking to people when i'm talking with you here that um my heart comes through because that's really what um i think i'm supposed to be doing and that by being given that name that becomes a responsibility and hopefully i have the ability to respond to it which is the real meaning of responsibility, of course. Thank
0: you.
1: Yes. Responding versus reacting, where you slow it hmm. down and if respond, vous please. Respond, if you would, please. Not, <laughs> um not, not react. Which RSVP.
0: Takes,
1: yes, slow it down and remember hmm. what it's all about. So, we, listeners, the website for so much information um, that you are hearing about in this interview tonight is OriginalThinking.us. OriginalThinking.us. And um, actually, I should say OriginalThinking.us. We are all in this together. It's not US, it's us, US, lowercase. And um, there are many, many just, you know, I don't even know how to describe it other than to say that um, this kind-hearted man Lives close to the Earth and out in the cosmos at the same time, and so this book, <laughs>
0: this book brings
1: together this amazing connection to Mother Earth and Father Sky in a different different way. And in this issue of Spirit Seeker, we have an article. So, what exactly is original thinking? And um, and that's you know, I, I, it starts with um, original thinking is thankful. This is number one, and mm-hmm. then I'm going to end with number ten. But number one is original mm-hmm. thinking is thankful. Originally, thinking was a prayer that came from a place of blessing, recognizing the already existing completeness of life. At its root, thinking is thanking. And then Glenn mm-hmm. weaves us through, you know, as we get this and um, come to that, um, that place, and it's a journey. And I'm, I'm going to jump to number twelve. Original thinking is radical. Original mm-hmm. thinking is, is is radical in the original sense of going to the roots. Mm-hmm. It is about asking the right questions to get to the bottom of things, and it is of great depth and dimensions. dimension. Original mm-hmm. thinking is analogous to the way Dogon people construct a basket. Dogon uh, baskets have a rectangular base and a pyramidal top. The name for the rectangular base is the word for earth or matter, what is manifest, and the name for the pyramid top is the word for sky, heaven, or what is unmanifest, but where all possibilities reside. The pyramid is placed on top of the rectangular base and uh, woven together with a thread. Mm. And number 13, original thinking is wise. But Mm. that... That analogy that you used with that basket, with that pyramid on top of the rectangle, I mean, what did you think when you saw that basket? I bet you just went, oh, that's it. That's just like, that says it all.
3: Well, I really like um, a lot of baskets. Um, baskets and pottery are some of my favorite things. Um, most most native baskets and a lot of African baskets represent the whole cosmos, Sometimes I'm familiar with the symbology, and sometimes I'm not, and I just have to feel into it. But, but yeah, you know, I mean, the Dogon people, as you might know, they 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 had more knowledge of the Dog Star Sirius, you know,
0: thousands
3: of years before there were telescopes that could
0: see it. (laughs) <laughs> oh
3: and and of course they 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 had that knowledge because they felt they came from there um and they wh- whether you believe that or not and I have no reason to disbelieve it you know um they they did have a communication they were able to to project their consciousness and to be in that land that were this of the star people, to be able to feel into it, and we have that capability. That's actually how I ended the book, you know, with a with a visualization of going beyond the origin of consciousness, which is the cover of the book. It came from a man from Santa Fe, James Jarob, and his depiction of looking from outside the milky way in it's a so it's a portal through that wormhole and really we have the ability to do that the mind is a very powerful thing
1: okay and we have come to the end of our time i'm afraid this blog talk is going to take us off the air and i just want to thank you so very much glenn apriccio and i hope i'm saying that correctly perry for writing this wonderful book, So What Exactly is Original Thinking? And I, I gave the website, I want to give it again, originalthinking.us. And anything in closing that you would love to share? Oh, we have no. Well, I'd love to say 96. something
3: about...
0: Uh, in, a, in a short
3: time. I love just to say that the the vehicle for the book is through the circle for original thinking. Um, so uh, that, the circle will be creating conferences like water conferences in partnership with the Hopi and things like that. So look for that because that's really the joy there and the purpose and the mission of the circle for original thinking is to remember to think like nature thinks. So okay. there, that's what we're really excited to do.
1: Well, thank you with your busy busy schedule for taking time out and allowing us to publish two of your excerpts and to let the readers know about your wonderful work and stay in touch. I mean, this I, I just, you know, really honor from my heart to your heart. I honor the work that you're doing and to all of our relations. I hope. Oh,
3: yes, thank you for saying that to all our relations. We uh, talking okay. us and thank you. Blessings.
1: Okay. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening and we will be back next week. Namaste. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.